Hi, I'm Jeff Sickinga, Executive Director of the Ashbrook Center, and this is The American Idea, coming to you from Peter Schramm's library in Ashland, Ohio. I want to welcome everybody to Season 1 of The American Idea. We're going to be looking at 12 essential documents that help us understand the fundamental ideas and history that have shaped our country and that have made us who we are as Americans. And to kick us off, we thought we should really begin at the beginning and start with the document that launched this great experiment in self-government, the Declaration of Independence. And to do that, we thought we'd turn to our old friend, Dr. Christopher Burkett. Chris is a faculty member here at Ashland University, professor of political science, and part of, a long-standing part of, the Ashbrook Center's programs for students, for teachers. Uh, Chris, you've taught pretty much every kind of student, teacher that we that Ashbrook reaches out to. Yeah, I have, and it's been a real pleasure. Um, I've done this now for about 17 years. and uh, huh. You don't look, you learned. look younger than what I remember. Well, when that's I, because I'm, first I have grandchildren now. <laughs> they <laughs> keep kid, you young, My kids they? are grown up, so I look younger now. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thanks for taking the time to kick us off with this episode, the Declaration of Independence. Everybody's heard of it, but a lot of people think it's just a dry, dusty piece of paper from way back in 1776. Why is the Declaration important? Yeah, well, there are a number of ways to answer this. One, of course, is from a sort of historical point. It is the document that establishes our independence as one people uh, right. from Great Britain. But in a deeper and more important sense, um, the ideas that are expressed in the Declaration of Independence are ideas who are met that are meant to shape who we are and how we think as Americans really make us Americans in hmm. a certain sense. So the Declaration of Independence, if we want to say, and this is an important question for us always, but particularly in these days, what does it mean to be an American? Your answer is, we can find that, the answer to that question, in the Declaration of Independence. I, I believe so, yeah. And especially in the, um, the second paragraph, which begins with, we hold these truths to be self-evident. Right? Uh-huh. So the we in that sentence is, uh, are Americans. It means we Americans. So if we want to understand who we are as a country, who we are as a people, who we are as human beings, we need to start with the Declaration of Independence. Absolutely. I believe this is the uh, foundational, fundamental document that ought to inform what Thomas Jefferson later referred to as the American mind. Who we think and how we live as Americans. And how we ought to live. Yeah, what we think and and how we ought to live, as you say, as Americans. Wow. Okay, that's important stuff. Let me take, help us understand a little bit of the context of this document. We know that it, it bursts forth on the scene in, on July 4th, 1776, Independence Day, a uh, national holiday, of course. But tell us just briefly about the background of this document, the context, how the Declaration of Independence came to be. Yeah, well, um, in June of 1776, uh, things were heating up with the British. We had already started the, the Revolutionary War. The shooting had started. In mid-June, Richard Henry Lee of Virginia proposed in Congress that um, the United States ought to be, ought to declare themselves independent of Great Britain. And this is the Second Continental Congress meeting in Philadelphia. Exactly, right. At the same time he made that motion, there was a separate motion 
saying that if we end up voting to be independent, we ought to write up a document explaining the causes and the reasons justifying ah. why we are becoming, or say we ought to be independent. So, so there, so for a couple of weeks there, uh, end of jo- uh, June into July, they're debating whether or not to be independent. In the meantime, uh, Thomas Jefferson of Virginia, John Adams of Massachusetts, uh, Benjamin Franklin of Pennsylvania, Robert Livingston of New York, and Roger Sherman of Connecticut are selected to be on a committee to write up this declaration of uh, why we ought to be independent. Uh-oh. A committee. Uh-oh. A committee. <laughs> a committee to draft something. That they doesn't actually... sound like it's going <laughs> to produce what eventually was produced. So uh, Amazingly, they actually did it in less than three weeks. All they right. completed their task, which is <laughs> rare for committees. <laughs> How'd the committee do this? So, well, there was, um, there was some initial um, discussion among them about what ideas ought to be included in it. But it was really uh, Adams and Franklin and Jefferson that were the, the primary drivers of, the, of the, the ideas that ended up in the document. And Adams was sort of spearheading this at the time. And he actually approached Jefferson and said Jefferson had to be the one to write it. Uh, for one, Jefferson was a Virginian, and there are political reasons why you'd want a Virginian. Um, it's a big colony. It's in between North and South. Yeah, exactly. So it so uh, notice everybody else on the committee is from the North. Ah, right. Didn't, so I didn't think of that. We've right. got to have a Virginian. We've okay. got to have Virginia uh, on board for the cause. Uh, but Adam said, Jefferson, you're a much better writer. And third, Adams pointed out, he's not very well liked by a lot of people in Congress. Uh-huh. But Jefferson was. Uh-huh. So okay. He was very highly admired. So, so Jefferson, Jefferson ended up drafting most of the language. All right. And then he presents it to the committee and then the committee gives it to the Continental Congress for them to make some cuts, which were probably painful to Jefferson. Very painful. He recorded uh, in, a, in a journal all the cuts that they made to it. And he was especially uh, upset about the paragraph they cut having to do with the condemnation of the slave trade on ah. the part of the British. Oh, good. Well, let's talk about that as we go along. Sure. So we have this declaration. It's put in front of Congress. Congress votes for independence on July 2nd. Right. But July 4th, the Declaration of Independence comes forth. Exactly. So Independence Day is July 2nd. <laughs> <laughs> but July 4th is the day we celebrate, I say anyway, and this is what I always tell my own family and friends, July, July 4th is the day we celebrate the Declaration itself and the ideas that are included in it. These right. uniquely American ideas in many ways. Which tells us a lot, right? That yeah. July, July 2nd, the act of independence is for our country less important than the explanation of that act, than the words that give meaning to that act yeah, I that agree. are declared on July 4th. Yeah, I agree. The, the, I mean, the act of becoming independent is sort of a formal, legal, yeah. technical thing. I mean, I don't mean to downplay it. It's an important, it's an important uh, moment. But there's something uh, more enduring and um, more aspirational, if you will, about the yeah. ideas that are included in the, the declaration, which again is not only pointing out why we're separating from the British, but what we claim to be and what we are and what we believe in uh-huh. as, so, a, as a people. So this is fascinating, right? When you're studying American history like this, it's not just the what, it's the why yeah. that is essential to understand. Yeah. Well, let's look at the why. Let's, sure. let's look at the Declaration of Independence. Familiar words, but I always, I'm always worried concerned that when we see such familiar words we'll miss the meaning of them because we think we know what it means so if you'll just indulge me i'm just going to read out loud the first sentence here when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people 
to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. Now the first thing that strikes me in that wonderful, beautiful sentence of Thomas Jefferson is the phrase one people. It becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands. And it's striking to me because, look, in 1776, in Philadelphia, you got 13 often squabbling colonies. <laughs> that yeah. Jefferson has the audacity to say is one people. Right. What, how could Jefferson possibly describe those colonists as one people? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, what did he think made them one people? Clearly not one people in that they are one in every aspect, right? right. So as you The say, end of the declaration even says thir free and independent states, right. 13 of them. Right. So you have, you know, running from north to south, a wide range of dis uh, differences among the peoples in terms of their manners and their habits and their occupations and, right. and their, their, um, their religions. Religions varied from state to state mm -hmm. uh, quite frequently. But... I think this is really one of the most important accomplishments of the Declaration of Independence is that it says, despite those differences, there can be certain things. And I think it's the things that are coming in the next paragraph. I don't want to jump ahead here, but it's the ideas, the things we claim to believe in, in a fundamental sense that can, that can unite us despite all those other things in which those other ways in which we are different. Yeah. So we are one people not in the way that some other countries are one people, blood and soil. Right. We right. have the same ethnic background or we're rooted in the same place, simply. Right. We are a people, but we're a people with an idea. Exactly. And, and, and already, at the, I'm sorry to interrupt, already at this time, it's just in terms of religion, uh, the, the, the America is so diverse. The American right. colonies Many are varieties so of Christianity. In terms of religion, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a unique thing already. Yeah. Uh, so there are already signs that, that we can be different and be diverse in certain ways, but, but still somehow be one people. So what unites Americans then from the very beginning are shared fundamental principles, what you're saying. Okay. Not just our ethnic background, not where we come from, not our exact religious beliefs, but these shared fundamental principles. Now, the next question that comes to my mind is, well, two questions. First of all, where do those principles come from? Am I right to look here in this first sentence, the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them? Yeah, that's a very important phrase. Um, and that, what that does is that ties the ideas that are inherent in the Declaration of Independence to a, a tradition of, of thinking, if you want to uh, think about John Locke and other great sure. thinkers who, yeah. who, who for a century or two before this uh, were laying out the idea that there are certain fundamental laws of nature or of nature's God, as Jefferson calls them. Um, and those natural laws or those laws of nature um, are somehow more uh, fundamental and true than man-made laws or laws that are a result mm. of history or development or convention or whatever you want to call it right that there's something there are certain kinds of truths that are 
true regardless of whether man <laughs> man made laws agree with them right. or not, right? I mean, it's like the law of gravity. <laughs> exactly. You may not understand right. it, you may not know about it, you may not even believe in it, but it believes in you. Jump off a cliff <laughs> and you will find out. No, don't jump off a cliff. <laughs> right. But if you did, you would find out very quickly that the law of gravity is true regardless of whether you agree with That's it. That's an or not. amazing statement because that means the founders believed here that just as there are laws of nature in physics, there are laws of nature in politics. Mm -hmm. That there are truths, they're true, regardless of whether you recognize them and whether you believe in them or practice them, they're still true. And that means that you could do an experiment almost, a scientific experiment, and say, set up a society that's in opposition to the laws of nature articulated here in the Declaration. And you'll find that that society uh, is miserable, poor, insecure, and a terrible place to live that people want to flee from. Yeah. yeah. Set, set up a society that's in, based on these principles, and you'll find one that's secure, prosperous, free, and attracts people from everywhere. Yeah, that's a really interesting experiment. And you could say in a certain way that the American colonies, because they were so independent, it, just in terms of being distant from Great Britain for so long, they were kind of that experiment for mm. the better part of a century before the Declaration come, came along, yes. right? Uh, and was written. And they were living this, this free way of life in accordance, to, uh, in accordance with these laws of nature. And they would say, by the way, there are, in fact, lots and lots of countries out there in the world at that time that, that are the opposite, as you were describing, right? Where right. They are not set up, the laws and, and the, the rule and the, the government are not set up in accordance with the laws of nature. And what you find is lots and lots of poor, miserable, uneducated, unhappy, <laughs> you know, people. Right. Right. Suffering in those kinds of countries. Yeah. And in, and those countries are held up by force very often, mm -hmm. right? Right. And so if you remove the force, those governments collapse. Right. We think, I'm thinking of the example, the most obvious example of recent times of the Soviet Union. Yes. Yeah. Remove the force and the thing collapses. Yeah. The Soviet Union, of course, based explicitly on a rejection of the this idea that there are such things as laws of nature. Ah. Fascinating. They explicitly rejected that, and we, we, we see what happened. Yeah. Right there, right? So we're one people bound together by certain shared fundamental principles that make us Americans. And the habits and the mores, that the, the ways of living that come out of those principles, those principles are rooted in the laws of nature and nature's God. My next and obvious question, I think, is, okay, so what are those principles? Yeah, well, that's a great question, all right, let me keep reading then. Please. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I'm going to stop right there. There's a lot in there. First phrase, we hold these truths to be self-evident. What does that mean? Well, the first thing I notice in that sentence is that the, the very first word is we, and that's the first time you see the first person used in the in the. Oh, in the that's document. interesting. I didn't notice that. So that's the we. That's This is where the, I think Jefferson is saying, this is what Americans believe in. The first paragraph talks about people. them. The second paragraph here talks about we or us. Yeah, right. In, in a certain sense, the first paragraph is, it applies to any people that, mm -hmm. that decides they must separate. They're justified in doing so because of the laws of nature. Here are the things that we, as Americans, I'm inserting uh, the word Americans, but these are the truths that we find to be self-evident. Okay. Now, they call them truths. Yes. And they describe them as self-evident. 
What? Which is interesting. Okay, so <laughs> truths means it is true regardless of the time, whether it's 1776 or in the 21st century. Uh, the place, whether it's America, whether it's France, whether it's Asia, Africa, wherever, and uh, among the people, no matter which people you are, these are true for you. Yeah. Okay, but there's that word self-evident. Right. What does that word mean? That's a tough one. So uh, self-evident to me means you, you see it almost immediately to be true. Uh-huh. It, it requires really no explanation or very little explanation. Very little explanation. So it's so. obvious to you. Y yes. Oh, you're hesitating. It, uh, I'm going to, let me ask you this. It's obvious to you once you've been enlightened to it? Yeah, once you see... Um, once you see things clearly. Something clearly, yeah. But you have to see it and your mind has to accept it. But once your mind somehow accepts the possibility that this thing can be true, then from that point forward, it is simply true and it's self-evidently true. It can never not be true to you anymore. Ah, okay. So take a simple math formula, two plus two, right? Yeah. Uh, that's pretty self-evidently true. If you know what two if is. you've learned your math. You know, your ba very basic <laughs> math. But once you accept that two plus two is four, that's just self-evidently true from that point forward. Ah. And you say to so yourself, So you say, there has to be that moment of learning. Just a, it, but, but self-evident means to me, it doesn't require much. It doesn't it's, require it's sophisticated slight. argument. Right. It doesn't require being Aristotle or John Locke right. or anybody else. Right. You can comprehend these things. Yeah. You just need that little bit of enlightenment. A little bit of enlightenment. You might say it's it's something like common sense in a way as well, too. But you have to acquire that common sense by being enlightened to it. Ah, okay. So. so here's the things that we Americans hold to be true, that we know to be true, once we've been enlightened to them, and we have been. So we're going to declare them to the world, Declaration says. The first one is that all men are created equal. Okay. I, to me, that strikes me as absurd. If I'm reading this in 1776 and I'm in Europe and I'm some aristocrat or monarch, I think, don't <laughs> give me a break. How are all men created equal? That's ridiculous. The one fact about human beings you can count on is they're all unequal. They're different in strength. They're different in size. They're different in speed. They're different in noble titles. They're, they're so different. The variety and difference among human beings and the inequality among them is what politics has been based on for millennia. Right. All men are created equal. What does he mean by that? Yeah, well, that's a great... Equal how? That's a, that's a really good question. I think... Again, in this case, those kinds of understanding of equality that you find in those other those aristocratic societies, like you were describing, yeah, um, it, it seems to to be able to, to say that all men are created equal seems contradictory to what people living in aristocratic societies see. Yes, but this this goes back to this idea of laws of nature and nature's God. Those kinds of equalities or inequalities in aristocratic societies are especially not in align with this idea of laws of nature. Uh -huh. They're man-made inequalities and equalities. They're made by law, right? So aristocrats are made aristocrats by law, not by nature. Right. Because they don't have to be really good, decent people. They, they're just given a title and they get land. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, but the other, I think, important aspect of this is that I, I think that this is tied to the next sentence as well. When it says all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. So one way in which we can be equal, despite our 
differences in uh -huh. intellect and uh -huh. good looks. And, you're, you're a lot smarter and, than and, me. And size or whatever it might be, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, despite those differences, there, uh, there are fundamental things that we have in common, perhaps simply because we're human beings. Ah. That's one thing we have in common is despite your superior mind and, um, and, and so on and so forth, you are... And I are both human beings. So in some fundamental human ways, we can be equal. And here's the way in which we're equal, according to you, what the Declaration says. How are we equal? That you and I both were endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights. In that respect, you are the equal of me, and I am the equal of you. Yes. You might be stronger, you might be faster, you might be smarter, you might be bigger, you might have a fancy last name, and I don't, but... We are equal in that we possess these same unalienable rights. Mm -hmm. Those are fundamentally equal aspects of human beings, according to the Declaration of Independence. Okay. They're unalienable. What does that mean? Well, uh, that's a good question. <laughs> you, you, you might think at first that that means they, they can't be taken away. Uh-huh. And I think that's right. Okay. They, can, they cannot be taken away by right. They can be violated. People can try to violate okay. those rights. All right, right, right. So I have the natural uh, or inalienable, as it's called here, right to liberty. Yeah. Well, okay. I could kidnap you. You could throw me in prison. Yeah. Throw me in, kidnap me, uh, hold me hostage or yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you, that you're still not taking away from me my right to liberty. Ah, uh, you I'm are, just violating it. You're violating the right to liberty. So okay. unalienable means maybe can be violated, shouldn't be violated, but the, even though violated... That's not right. Okay. That you do so. All right. I always have that right to liberty. Um, because you are endowed by, nature. With, by your creator yeah. with that. Because I'm a human being. And this means, for example, right, that government in the, in the mind of the founders, government doesn't give you your rights. The creator gives you your natural rights. That's a very, very important point. Why is that important? Um, because this actually, this idea that we have rights that come from some other source than government means that there are actually limits on what government can or should or should not do with regard to the laws that it passes, the things that it wants to do, how it treats us as citizens. Yeah. Um, so, so again, these rights, these unalienable rights are, are created or established by the laws of nature or nature's God, as Jefferson calls them. Uh, calls him in the first paragraph. Um, any man-made law that violates those things, the law can have force and power behind it. But if it's contrary to these fundamental things, it's not right. Ah, uh, there can be unjust laws. Uh, that's exactly what that means. Okay. And they're unjust if they violate the next sentence. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those are three big ones that we've heard of. People right. have a right to live. And defend themselves, this right, a right to life. Mm -hmm. They have a right to liberty, to govern themselves, and not to be interfered with in that, and to pursue their happiness among these. Right, which means there are more. Um, what, what would be another one that would be an important one that's among these? Right to religious liberty, okay. I think, is one that they would include. Um, and the right to property, which, ah. interestingly enough, is not included here. Okay, Although I think it could fall under the general heading of the pursuit of happiness. Mm -hmm. Because in a general sense, most of us need to 
make make money or pursue property, right? And, right. And for some degree of happiness. Okay. So you're saying that the founders that the, the list this list is not exhaustive. These are just right. big illustrations. They're even capitalized by Jefferson, right? Right. But something <laughs> like the right to property is a right that in an individual right that we are given by nature and nature's God. Right. To be able to be free and pursue our happiness. Yeah. Because we pursue Property. And to live. <laughs> exactly. Oh, but, you know, so property. Most of us yeah. need to make some property to support our families, uh, to, to raise our kids well. Uh, those things make us happy, yeah. right? So so pr- I think property, the pursuit of property is connected to the pursuit of happiness. But the reason we have the right to property, even though it's not listed here explicitly, is because in the pursuit of property, um, we are using our own minds and our own labor freely as we choose and that accords with the idea that we are endowed with the right to liberty by nature. Ah. Right? So there's a connection, I think, between life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, that's fascinating. Liberty, so there are three different rights and four with the right of property, but they're connected. What you're saying is they're connected. And if you violate one, if government were to violate one, it would be oftentimes violating another one of those. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Then immediately I think to myself, the next question that comes to my mind is, okay, we have... We know these things are true. We've been enlightened to them. That all people are equal in the sense that they have these same rights from their creator. And these rights are all connected and important for, for human flourishing, really. Mm-hmm. Then I think to myself, so what's government's job in all of this? <laughs> yeah. And Jefferson writes that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. What's government's job? It's right there. Its first and most fundamental job is to secure these rights, not the rights that government gives us, but the rights that we are endowed with by our creator, by nature. That's their job. If they don't do that, um, Jefferson might say, why have government? Why even bother? If it's not securing those rights that you have by nature or from nature's God, what's the purpose of government? If it's not securing your life, allowing you to... Uh, to pursue happiness by exercising your liberty and using your mind and your talents. Why have government? I mean, this is really important because then I'm thinking of the our Constitution and the Bill of Rights. And what you see there would be like freedom of speech, for example. It's listed there in the text, but the founders would have said, if you're right, they would have said, look, you already have freedom of speech. Yeah. The Bill of Rights doesn't have to say you have freedom of speech. It's part of your natural right to liberty. We're putting it there so you and government and everybody else knows you have it and it can't be violated. But putting it in the, in the text of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights doesn't give you that right. No, right. It already exists. Yes. And it's government's job to make sure that it's protected. And many of the other rights that are listed in what we call the Bill of Rights um, are, 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 again, not rights that are created and given to you by government, but are there mm. because they are necessary to protect these more fundamental rights, the rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and the others that aren't listed. So as you said before, there's already a moral and philosophical principle that's limiting government. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is what its job is, and it's not supposed to do something that violates that fundamental job. Right. And maybe even everything else that it does do needs to be justified in light of securing these rights. Yes. Yeah. So we always have this idea, this principle to go back to, to say, is government being fair? Is it being just? Is it doing what it's supposed to do? We always can go back to the Declaration and say, well, 
Is it securing these rights? Yeah. Huh. That's the standard. This becomes a standard for us to hold up the declaration, the fundamental ideas in the declaration. We can hold this up as a standard when we look at what government does, what laws it passes, what actions it takes, or what it doesn't do, right? Huh. And ask that question. Is this just? Where does it get those its power to do that? The declaration says, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Right. Um, those of us who are parents and have children, we always get the question from our teenagers, who, who gave you authority to rule over me? <laughs> Every teenager wants to know the answer to that question. Right. <laughs> and I say, because I told you so. <laughs> because I'm wise and you're foolish. In other words, it's the wisdom of the rulers that gives them the authority to rule over people. But that's not what the declaration says here. It says, the consent of the governed. Right. Why must the governed consent to government? Why must they agree to be ruled? Uh, again, this is a great question. Because I, I can just say the British king didn't think they, they had to consent. No. no he thought right. he just ruled them. That's right. By his own right. Yeah. Right. Why do, do the people need to consent to be ruled? I think one of the key words, maybe the key word in this phrase that you're reading is the word governed so government derives their just powers from the consent of the governed uh, that word's important because to me that they chose that word as opposed to something like subjects ah yes, right right so in in the uh, british government the british system that they have they have government and then they have the people so people in government who are come from aristocratic families yeah they're like a separate class entirely. Yeah. And there, so there's the government, the class that rules, and then there's the class that is ruled. Right. But here we say government derives its, its just powers from the consent of the governed. What that leaves open is the possibility that those of us who are governed may also govern. Ah, right. So, and why should that be the case? Because, uh, because we're all created equal. Right. Again. And if you're my equal... I can't rule you without your consent. If we're equal in those fundamental yeah. ways, right? Yeah, and that's government's right. job. The whole reason we have society and government is to protect those rights, and we're equal in that. It's like two friends, right? One friend just can't tell another friend what to do. Yeah, uh, you can't just say, I'm going to rule you. Yeah. Well, you, you could, but, <laughs> but, it, but then you could say, uh, no, wait no, a minute. No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> right? right. So, and right. you can make an argument, which they do, which Jefferson does in the Declaration, as to why that's wrong. Why that's right. unjust. So one equal can only rule another equal with their consent. Exactly. And since we're all equals here. In those fundamental ways. In those fundamental ways. Yeah. We have to have consent. And, and again, that what that means is just because you're wiser or more intelligent or better dressed or whatever it might be, right? Yeah. That does not give you the right to rule me without my consent. I can consent to that. And yeah. Say, I think because you're wiser than me, you should rule. But you can't just say, I'm going to rule you because I'm smart and wow. you're not. So this is turning things upside down politically. It's entirely this is, reversing this is saying, the British way of thinking. Exactly. About this is saying you're not subjects, you're citizens. Right. You're equal citizens who have to consent. Right. And the people that are presently in government, by the way, are also citizens. And they are citizens. And they may someday return to being those who are governed. That's right. Because so, if we don't like those rascals, we right. can vote them out of office and elect new rascals. Exactly. That's what happens if government doesn't do this? What happens if it's not 
protecting our rights, what happens if it's not getting our consent? The next phrase, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government. That's what the Declaration says. This is the right of revolution. Right. Right. Am I to understand then that the people, the American people, have given their authority to government to do its job, secure our existing, pre-existing rights, our natural rights. If it doesn't do that, we can, that power, we take it back. Sure. Yeah. And we can form a new government, as the Declaration says, mm -hmm. laying its foundations on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Right. Yeah. We can abolish it entirely and start over and try to come up with something better. Okay. We can or replace we can, the Articles of Confederation with the U.S. Constitution, as we did. Absolutely. Or we can alter it. So the Declaration gives us the option of altering or abolishing. Or we can pass a right? constitutional amendment. That's it. So we've got a system of altering our government built into the Constitution, which comes out right. a decade or so later. But the people as a whole never give up their sovereign authority over government. It is their government. It is our government. They don't American work for citizens. government. Government works for them. Right. Right. Another revolutionary idea here. Again, the, the, the world turned upside down, right, as the song was called back in the, during the American Revolution. Uh -huh. <laughs> the world Fascinating. Was turned upside down here. So. The rest of the Declaration, we've just scratched the surface here in the, the beginning. I mean, this is deep stuff, really important stuff for understanding the American idea. The rest of the Declaration is a set of grievances, I think there are 27 of those grievances, that go on to talk about all the, the, the usurpations, crimes, and tyrannies of the king. Uh, what is the connection between this first part of the Declaration that you've helped us to really understand so much uh, more clearly now? What's the connection between this philosophical part of the Declaration and what is the, the, the subsequent grievances? Yes. Well, I'm, uh, when I read the grievances, I am especially happy that the first and second paragraphs are there because otherwise um, it makes me think of um, a rebellious teenager, uh -huh. for example, who, you know, might not like the way they're being, you know, governed at home or something. They're not allowed to use the car. They're not allowed to do this. So they want to do this, but they can't do that. Yeah. And they just don't like the way they're being ruled, or if you want to, if you want yeah, to call yeah, it that yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they just rebel. Um, if the second, uh, uh, first, and second paragraphs weren't there, we really would simply be rebels in a way. In other words, the grievances say, "Here's what we don't like specifically that the British are doing." Yeah. But because the first and second paragraphs are there, we can say the reason we don't like these things, the reason we we are listing these things in the grievances, is not because we don't like them. But because they're unjust. Ah. Every one of these grievances violates those fundamental principles or truths that are laid out in the first and second paragraph. Oh, that's so important. So, so the king declared the Americans rebels, and they said, we're not rebels. We're not <laughs> rebellious teenagers right. just saying what we don't want. We're not rebels going against legitimate authority. We're revolutionaries. Exactly. Who are taking back our own legitimate authority that right. you have rebelled against. Exactly. Yeah. That legitimate authority that had been usurped over centuries by by kings ruling under divine right, you know, by the authority of God, as they said, we're taking this back because it belongs to us. And we get to decide the principles 
that will lead, you know, to our safety and our happiness, as the Declaration says in the Second Wow. Paragraph. So, again, flipping things around, the Americans in their mind were not rebels against the king. He was a rebel against Absolutely. them. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. He was the rebel. And they're, they're setting things back in line with the intent of nature or the God of nature, if you want to put it that way. <laughs> they're restoring yeah. things to their proper place. Yes. And, and they go through the grievances, and here's how it ends. The last sentence. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. That's a beautiful ending. That's a beautiful ending. Help us understand the reason for that last sentence here. Well, it begins uh, by reaffirming their reliance on divine providence, which is another way of saying we really do believe that what we are saying and doing is just. Um, and it's a dangerous thing that they're doing, though, yeah. as well. So they're, they're relying that they are that they are acting justly in the eyes of God or divine providence. But this is risky because the king had already declared them uh, rebels, I believe, right? Or was right. About in the fall declare. of 1775, Exactly. Right? And they were going to be hung if they were caught as, as rebels. And, and so, that famous line, we must all hang together, or most assuredly we will all hang separately. Hang separately, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they're risking everything. These people, the, the men in this Congress who are uh, writing and signing this document are risking everything their lives, their fortunes, and their honor. But it's their honor, their sense of honor in the end, that leads them to stand up and do again what they think is the right and just thing. They're willing to risk their lives and their fortunes. And some of them lost their fortunes, especially, uh, as a result of the Revolutionary War. But they could have lost their lives very easily. Yeah, very easily. They didn't just sign their names to this for that one moment in July of 1776. They were looking to the future and to the kind of country oh, that America would be. Let me ask you something. What's the significance of this document for the rest of American history? Is it just some dry, dusty document from 1776, or is it supposed to have some meaning beyond that? Yeah, that is a great question. And I, I think that, um, that Jefferson and, and the others who supported the document clearly intended this to be... Um, um, a guide for us as Americans moving forward through history. And uh, what I mean by that is uh, remaining true to these ideas and principles, but also trying to live up to them. Because I think we can all agree that in some ways over the course of our history, we have not lived up fully to these fundamental principles, especially in the second paragraph. Right. With regard to equal liberty and equal equal uh, rights and things like this. So I think that the one way to think about the Declaration is that it, it tells us what we ought to aim at as a people. Hmm. Even when we fall short in achieving it, it gives us sort of a, uh, a star to follow, uh, a North Star, if uh -huh. you want to use that, something like that, right? Yeah. A compass uh, of sorts. It tells us the direction we ought to be going as we try to live up fully to the things we claim to believe in as self-evident truths. Right. So it's for 1776, but it's also for the 21st century and beyond, a society that should be making progress toward fully realizing and living up to these shared principles that were declared back here in 1776. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. And the more that we live up to those principles, if what you're saying is true, the more fully 
we are Americans. I believe so. Just, uh, and, and again, the more fully we are Americans and therefore one people, united by these common ideas, despite our many, many differences and even disagreements. Wow. It is still possible for us to find inspiration in these truths and, and still think of ourselves as one people. Bound together by the American idea. Yeah. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time to join us and illuminate this fundamentally important document. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it very much. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of The American Idea, presented by the Ashbrook Center. You can find this episode and more of our resources for students, teachers, and citizens at our website, ashbrook.org. If you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to subscribe, like, rate, or review it. And of course, share it with your friends and family. From Peter Schramm's library in Ashland, Ohio, I'm Jeff Sickinga. Stay healthy, stay hopeful, and stay connected with Ashbrook.